Hey, thanks for downloading Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. We're going to talk about, oh, have you heard this? I'm spiritual but not religious. We're going to gently take that idea apart and see what's inside. We're going to dissect it and then even put it back together. And then we're going to talk about Ten Commandments in the news. What are the Ten Commandments, those old Ten Commandments, possibly have to do with current events? We're going to we're going to connect the two and learn how to play this game, Ten Commandments in the News. Stay tuned for Cross Defense. Hey, that music means it's time for Cross Defense. Every, every week, coming at, we're talking about theology. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, by the way. I'm so happy that you've joined me today. I've got a couple of things. i got something to get off my, my chest, something to get off my mind to start out with. I, you, you've heard people say... All the time, I'm spiritual, not religious. That phrase, that little bumper sticker of theology, that little attempt to throw off the sneaking, the sneaking around of God's law in the conscience. We're going to talk about what that means, what's behind it, what what people are getting at when they say I'm spiritual, not religious, and then and and how we can approach that. I mean, maybe maybe you've said that about yourself. Maybe you've thought about it about yourself, or maybe. You've heard other people say that, your family, your friends, and so we want to talk about what it means and and what we ought to say in response. That's the first thing. And then we're going to, I want to teach you guys a game. I teach this game to my congregation, uh, to my family. I want to teach it to you guys as well. The game is called Ten Commandments in the News. I'll teach you how to play that, and we'll try to play a few rounds together as well. So that's what we're going to do today on Cross Defense. But first, this, I'm spiritual but not religious. I wonder the first time I heard this, my, probably was at high school. How long was that ago? 30 years? I can't, can't be 30 years ago. Back in the 90s, you'd hear people say this, I'm spiritual, but not religious. And there's, a, there's an equivalent uh, catchphrase that we hear in the church, and it's that Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. Th- th- those are kind of two sides to the same coin. Interesting uh, how that works out. But I want to I think about the pagan idea. I'm spiritual but not religious. And what does it mean? And now, now there's, not, there's some people who will just say flat out, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I don't believe there's a God that exists. I don't believe there's any reason to believe in God and so forth and so on. That's, that's what they say. But there's very, very few people who say that. We heard the, in the news the announcement right before the show started, this idea that there's a rise in people who don't identify as any religion. It's called the nuns, not the N-U-N-S, but the N-O-N-E-S. Those are the people who respond on a survey to what religion are you, and they respond, none. I'm no religion. I'm not Christian. I'm not Jewish. I'm not Muslim. I'm not Hindu. I'm not Buddhist. I'm not, uh, I'm not anything I'm no religion at all. But if you talk to these people and you ask, hey, well, do you believe in God? Do you believe in an afterlife? Do you believe in the eternality of the soul? Do you believe that there's, a, that there's something that happens after death? Most of them will say, yeah. They, they do. Do you believe in a higher power? Most people will say, yeah, I believe in a higher power. Do you believe in a, that this world was created? And, and most people will say, yes. It's an amazing thing. Most people have, they say, oh, I don't believe in any sort of religion. And yet, I have the spirituality. I think that there's something greater than me. There's something out there that I came from that created me and so forth and so on. But, but what it is or who it is is unknown. I don't, I don't know. I don't know the name of the thing that created the universe. I don't know the name of the thing that created me. 
And in fact, I think this is what people are saying when they say I'm spiritual but not religious. Because if, if you're spiritual, you believe in a higher power. But if you're religious, you believe in a God, specific God who has a name. Or I suppose you could believe in multiple gods if you're religious. But there, it's a difference of does your God, do you know the name of your God? Now, now just to, to sit on that for a little bit, this is very important for us to think about that we that we are able to identify the name of God or alternatively the name of our idols. I was reading this great little book, me myself and I, the uh, Luther on the false idols of the on the on the idol of the Holy Trinity uh, or the false trinities that we we are tend to worship ourselves. And this little book, Pastor Lockwood was talking about how in the ancient world. You know, the old Greeks, the old pagan Romans or whatever, they had the names of all these different gods. They had Venus and, and Zeus and, and Mars and Baal and Molech and Mammon. They had names of what it meant to worship pleasure or worship lust or, or worship money or, or worship yourself or worship your own power or worship strength or whatever it is. They had names for it. And Pastor Lockwood makes the point that we worship the same things today. We have the same idols today, but we just don't know their names. We don't recognize that we worship our own security or we worship our own pleasure or we worship our own wealth or we worship ourself and our own will. So, And so the disadvantage, Pastor Lockwood makes this fantastic point, is the disadvantage that we are is in the ancient world, if, at least if you used to go to the Mars temple and offer a, a sacrifice to Mars because you're worshiping, you're worshiping violence and war, and then you became a Christian and you came over to the church, you at least had to renounce your idols. But now we don't even know the names of our idols to renounce them. So there's a, there's a thing there when we are spiritual but not religious is that we don't know the name of our God. We don't know the name of our idol. These things are all simply abstractions. There's a higher power out there, but I don't know what to call that higher power. I don't have a name for that higher power. I don't even know how to talk about it. If you're spiritual and you're not religious, the other thing that happens is you get to choose your own ethic and your own doctrine. Religion, I think in this sense, means that that there's a dogma or a doctrine or a teaching that's there and it's established and it's in place. And so if I'm a religious person, I adhere to some sort of dogma or doctrine. But if I'm spiritual, that's not put in place. But make no mistake, the person who's spiritual has an ethic. And the person who's spiritual has a dogma. It's just not one that someone else told them about. It's a dogma and an ethic that they themselves invented. And I think in this way, we're starting to see what the game is. We're starting to see what is the goal of being spiritual and not religious. One of the differences between spiritual and not religious is that we're governed then by our feelings rather than a scripture. One of the marks of a religion is that there's a religious text just about every religion. I mean, that's one of the things that, that you do when you study religions. You say, well, what is the text that they use? So, so Christianity has the religious text of the Scripture, and, and Judaism has the religious text of the Torah and the books of Moses, and, and, and Islam has the text of the Quran, and, the, and Mormonism has all the extra Book of Mormon have uh, the Vedas for the Hindu doctrine there's a there, in other words there's a religious there's a scripture that underpins if you're spiritual there's no such I mean not a standard text not an authoritative text I mean you might go and read some poetry or whatever or find some inspiration from something 
no particular book to which you are bound. And, and so it's now not about your, uh, uh, the words, but rather it's about how you feel. One of the marks of spirituality is it's all inside of us, and it has this, this mark. We're, and, and we are kind of obsessed with this. I don't, and I don't think it's just American religion. I think it's all over the place. We're, we're, we are kind of natively wired to reduce, the, to, uh, to reduce religion and our religious life to the inside, to the chamber of our heart. So we think that we think that religion is what happens on the inside, and 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 the word that we have for that really is our feelings. So if you're spiritual but not religious, you feel close to God, or you're moved by these sorts of things. And really, when you're when you're spiritual but not religious, then you are the one who is the authority, individual authority over your own spiritual life, rather than being and in fellowship with other people. Now, I think when you boil this down, if you have a chart, spiritual versus religious, and on the spiritual side, you have, you have a higher power instead of God, you have your own chosen ethic and doctrine instead of a settled ethic and doctrine, when your source of authority being your feelings rather than a scripture, and you yourself are the individual rather than being under authority and in fellowship with other people, what it really boils down to is this, that to be religious and Spiritual and not religious means that you have a God who doesn't talk. You have a God who doesn't say anything. You have a mute God. Because as soon as God talks, now watch what happens. As soon as God talks and says something, then, you, then we know God's name. Then we know right and wrong. Then we have a settled scripture. And we have a text or a word to which we are held accountable. And that's dangerous for us. I mean, especially if you don't want to be held accountable by a particular word. Now, if we take if we take half a step back to try to understand what's motivating someone who says that they're spiritual and not religious, what we find is this. Every single one of us has a conscience. That is, we have a heart. And in that heart, judgment is being made. Judgment about myself, judgment about my actions, judgment about the things that I say and the, that I do and that I think and that I fail to do. There's a constant judgment that's happening. And if that judgment is based on God's law, then the judgment is condemning me. It's showing that I'm coming up short. Because the Lord has such a high law given to us by the Ten Commandments or even simply by the command to love by natural law, that, that word of God is... It, is so high it sets such a high bar that all of us have failed according to the law all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and we know it I mean, you know if you're listening to me you know it i know it about myself and you can know this about everyone that you encounter you know that you've fallen short of god's standard that you therefore are guilty and that you deserve god's punishment that's that's what ought to come to you rightly now that's a hor that's a horrifying thought that when god would open his mouth the words that would come out of his mouth would condemn me they would show me my sin they would show me my failures and so it's better it's better if i don't hear the words of god at all Remember when God came down on Mount Sinai and the thunder
spoke, and he boomed forth the Ten Commandments. Blah! And all the people said, oh, they were frightened, and they backed away from the hill, and they said, they said, Moses, you go up there and talk to God for us, because we don't want to go up there. You go and listen to God, and then come back and tell It's too horrible for us. Really, that's when it comes down, that the law is too horrible for us. So it's better to not have a religion, that is, to not have the voice of the law, so that I can be, so that I can stand as self-justified, that I can make an argument for my own righteousness, that I can somehow convince myself that it's going to be okay when I die and I don't have to face judgment. I'm spiritual, not religious, which means I've stuffed a rag in the, in the mouth of God to mute the voice of his condemning law. But, dear friends, here's the real danger. This is the real problem with this whole thing. Because if I go and try to mute the voice of God when he tells me his name and when he tells me what's right and wrong and when he tells me his law, then I'm also muting the mouth of God who comes to tell me that my sins are forgiven. If I try to make God mute by this whole spiritual but not religious business, then I'm not going to be able to hear it when the Lord comes along and says, here's my son dying for you. I'm, I'm not going to be able to hear it when the Lord says, I, I've, given, I've given myself on the cross for your salvation. I'm not going to be able to hear it when, when Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Or when he shouts, it's finished, and when he breathes his last. I'm not going to be able to hear it when the preaching of the Scripture says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. I can't hear it when God says your sins are forgiven. If I, if I mute the voice of God that says you're a sinner, then I also mute the voice of God that says that, my, that, my, uh, that I'm absolved, that I'm acquitted, that I'm righteous, that I'm holy, that I'm beloved, that I'm created in God's image, that I'll be raised on the last day, that the Lord will welcome me into his presence with his kindness and his mercy and his love. I, I silence that voice also, you see. And this is the point of religion, at least the Christian religion, is that God speaks, and when he speaks, he speaks both in law and gospel, both in condemnation and in freedom, both in, in accusation and in acquittal, that he speaks to show us our own sins so that we know our need for the Savior, and then he lavishes us with his mercy in the forgiveness of sins. So we have to, wa we have to watch out for this, this kind of trap that that people are setting for themselves of being spiritual and not religion, being spiritual and not religious. Because it's precisely in the religion of the prophets and the apostles, in the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have the forgiveness of sins. So, if we're there, we've got to ask the question, how do, we, how do we speak to our friends and our family who say, I'm spiritual but not religious? I always think the best tactic in these conversations is try to make sure we can get on the same page and, and speak the same language. We can say, well, what do you mean by spiritual and what do you mean by religious? Most people try by spirituality to mean they have this sort of direct connection with the divine, but we know this is dangerous. No one can look on the face of God and live, but to recognize that in Christ, God has made a way for us to stand before him in glory. So what do you mean by spiritual, and, and what do you mean by religious, and what do you think the Bible says about religion? What do you think the main point of the preaching and the life and the death of Jesus is? And I think these might be little cracks, little cracks to speak law and to speak gospel, to, to, to press the voice of God through the rag with which they are trying to mute it, to press it into their ears, into their hearts, and the with the hope that the Holy Spirit will make it bear fruit. I hope this is helpful anyways. We are not spiritual. We are religious.
we confess what God, that God has spoken, and we confess what God has spoken, that he's spoken that we're sinners and that we're died for by Jesus. <laughs> God be praised for this religion. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. You're listening to Cross Defense. Let's go to the break, and we're going to play Ten Commandments in the news on the other side, so stick with me. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bart Day, President and CEO of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Reaching out in mercy and responding to human needs has been a key component of our life together in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And it's recognized service organizations like yours who work tirelessly to share the compassion of Christ to those who are suffering. LCEF appreciates your mission and understands the unique challenges ministries like yours face. We want to be a part of your great work of mercy and help you extend your reach. Visit us at lcef.org. Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their mettle against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m., every weekday on Worldwide KFUO. I'm Gary Duncan, the general manager of Worldwide KFUO. We promote our various programs. We ask you to listen to your favorite show. We ask you to support our broadcast ministry, and we thank you for that support. But maybe we don't ask you to pray for us as much as we should. Please pray for the staff, management, radio hosts, and volunteers here at Worldwide KFUO. Pray that the message of salvation through Christ is heard clearly by listeners around the world. Pray that we continue to reach into those areas that are hostile to the Word of God. Pray that KFUO continues to reach those people desperately needing to hear the good news message and pray that God continues to bless us financially through the gifts we need to continue our broadcast ministry. Thank you for listening, supporting, and praying for Worldwide KFUO. You truly are appreciated. We are the messenger of good news. AM850 in St. Louis, worldwide at KFUO.org. On that, I'd love to. I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on that spiritual but not religious, religious business. Uh, the best way to get a hold of me, I think, is the website wolfmuller.co. There's a contact button, and those emails seem to work because I'm getting a lot of them. So if you go to wolfmuller, w o l f m u e l l e r, dot c o c o, not c o m, just c o, and you can find the contact button there. You can also find a bunch of other stuff. We put a here's a. I put an article. I've been posting up some old Alfred Edersheim. I don't know if you guys know Alfred Edersheim. He was this old English theologian from the 19th century. He, did, he, was, he was born Jewish. He did a lot of work on the rabbinic thought. And, and he wrote The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. That's his most impressive work. And in that thing, in that work, he has an appendix called uh, 456 Old Testament Verses Considered Messianic by the Rabbis. In other words, there's 456 verses from the Old Testament that the that the 
Jewish teachers before Jesus thought applied to the Messiah. And he, just, he lists them, and he gives the references for it. It's amazing. And I posted that up there on the blog at wolfmuller.co. And then this last week, we were talking about the Day of Atonement. Remember that one day, it was on the 10th day of the 7th month, where the, the priest would kill a bull for his sins and a goat for the sins of the people, and they'd drive the scapegoat out into the wilderness? That's the Day of Atonement. Well, Edersheim writes about the Day of Atonement in the time, at the time of Jesus, how they would have done it in the temple and how the priest would have had 15 sacrifices to make on that day. And he would have had 500 other priests helping him with the sacrifices and, and, uh, and all, all the other stuff that went along with it and how that pointed to Christ. It's amazing. It's, it's just great. So that also got posted up on the blog. So, so that's there for you as well. So you, as you go over and send me a note, let me know what you think about cross defense and about the stuff we're talking about. Love to hear from you. Uh, but also um, check out some of the stuff we got there. We got videos and other audio stuff and a bunch of bunch of theology. Okay, now here's what we're going to do next. We are going to talk about the ten. We're going to talk about this game, the Ten Commandments in the news. I'm going to tell you how to play it, and then I'm going to show you how to play it. One of the things that this game does, and I think it's one of the ways that we can teach the kids, is just simply by being maybe a little bit more playful where we can be playful, and this is one of the ways that we can do it is we can look at the stuff that's happening around us and we can try to understand it through the lens of the Ten Commandments. The, 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 the lens through which we look at the world, how the world got here, where the world's going, and how the world is ordered and structured really f filters how we see the things that are in front of us. And so we want to use the Bible to, to be the lens, the, and especially the Ten Commandments to be the thing that helps us focus in on, on what's happening around us. Now, one of, the, one of the dangers that we have, I think, constantly, as I teach the Ten Commandments and talk to people about the Ten Commandments, is that I think that we see the Ten, ten Commandments like the list of rules that are, are sitting there on the gate by the swimming pool. You remember when you went to the you were a kid and you went swimming and and there uh, by the pool was the pool rules and it would say like number one no lifeguard on duty number two anyone under twelve years old has to be accompanied by an adult number three no glass bottles number four no running and horseplay and number five no getting hurt and no drowning people and everything else like this and number seven you have to wait for forty five minutes after you eat and all these rules just kind of a list of of things that you're not supposed to do and they seemingly unrelated and also seemingly minor I mean I guess you, you know they make sense like you don't want glass bottles because they break and people are barefoot and all this sort. but it's just basically like a list of things that you're not supposed to do and I think that that's the the sort of space that the Ten Commandments operates in our imagination and that is bad it's it's insufficient because while it's true that the Ten Commandments tell us the things that we're supposed to do or the things that we're not supposed to do. It's so much more than that. It's so, it's, it's the Ten Commandments. When we understand the Ten Commandments rightly, we understand that in the Ten Commandments, the Lord is giving us insight into the very structure of this created universe. That the Ten Commandments are there protecting the various different estates and institutions of God. That the Ten Commandments are like gates or walls or fences around the gifts that the Lord intends to give to us. There's a, something very profound going on in the Ten Commandments. Such, here's this Luther. Martin Luther, remember Martin Luther? Martin Luther says that the guy who understands the Ten Commandments is, is fit to be a teacher, a ruler, and a judge and lord of the whole world. 
So if you want to be the president or if you want to be a judge or if you want to be a, if you want to run a company or if you want to be a decent father or mother, if you want to be have authority in the world, you just you who understand the 10 commandments and you're ready for it. In other words, he understood the 10 commandments to be the summary of wisdom. So let's just let's think about that for a little bit. The 10 commandments as the secret to the ordering of the world and a summary of wisdom and and we're going to let the 10 commandments then shape the way that we see the things that are going on around us. Now, let me tell you a story here. When I was little, I grew up in the hill country in Texas. And our backyard was the city limits. So we had a fence and then behind it just were kind of some rolling hills and there was a barbed wire fence a few meters back and there was every now and again we'd find some cows but just these these limestone hills with cedar on them and it's a beautiful place to grow up and it was great especially for fourth of july because if they had a firecracker ban people would come over to our house we just go behind the fence and light off the firecrackers but anyhow We'd wander these hills, and as we got older, we could go farther and farther. So we could go to the top of the first hill, and then at some point, we got old enough, we could go to the top of the second hill. And when we did that, we saw, much to our amazement, a structure on top of the third hill. And we were, I don't know, I must have been eight years old, and my brothers were six and four. So we're, we didn't know what it was, and we could, we could only go to the top of the second hill. So we'd sit there on that hill, and we'd sit on the ledge, and we'd look at the third hill. And there on top of this hill was this tall, white, cylindrical tower. And around it was a fence topped with this barbed wire, this coiled barbed wire, and these locks all around it. And there was this little road that went up to this tower, and we would sit there, and we would try to figure out what was what was in that tower now we knew we knew that there was something important in that tower because the fence around it was was so tall and had barbed wire on it that we knew that whatever it was it had to be protected and whoever had something in there was trying to protect it so so we knew because of this great big fence around it that what was inside was important now, we didn't know what it was, and me and my brothers would sit there and try to figure out what it was. We figured it was either one of two things. We were very pretty pretty sure about this. Either it was a missile silo or it was a secret ninja training facility. I mean, that's what <laughs> that's what four-, six-, and eight-year-old boys are sure are the most important things in the world. And so we'd always ask, Mom, can we go to the third hill? Dad, can't we go to the third hill? And finally we got old enough to go down to it. And so we went to this and we walked around this trying to figure out what this most important thing was. And there was the sign and it said, keep out and do not climb fence and whatever. So me and my brothers did what, what any boy would do when he found something really important. And that is we got rocks and we threw it at it. <laughs> oh, man. Now, of course, it was a water tower is what it was, and it's no big deal. But the point is, the point is that when you see something being so carefully protected, you know that it's important. And that's how we ought to understand the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are like the Lord building a barbed wire fence around his gifts and his institutions. And what are those institutions? Well, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. God is giving us the gift of himself. His whole self, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with creation, redemption, and sanctification, and everything that comes with his name and his kingdom. And that's what he gives us in the second commandment. He gives us his name, which is access to him. It's the gift of prayer and worship. The third commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, is the gift of God's word. 
the gift of, 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 of having rest by faith and trusting in his promises. And these three things are the first table, and they have to do with the gifts of God. And then, beginning with the fourth commandment, the Lord is giving us gifts for our human society. The fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother, gives us the gift of family, the gift of father and mother and children, and the gift of authority. In fact, it sets this, because all authority on on earth amongst people comes from the authority of father and mother that we have this structure of authority the fifth commandment you shall not murder protects the gift of life the sixth commandment you shall not commit adultery protects the gift of marriage and intimacy the seventh commandment you shall not steal protects the gift of private property of stuff the eighth commandment you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor protects the gift of a reputation and a name and my capacity to make a promise trust amongst people and the ninth commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. And the tenth commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's, neighbor's manservant or maidservant, your neighbor's ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. That protects the, 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 the well-ordered inner life. It protects the gift of contentment. Now, if you're listening, you say, wait, 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 Pastor Wolfmuther, you numbered the commandments wrong and you skipped around. I'd, you're just going to have to search on YouTube for Wolfmuller numbering of the commandments. I explain how there's basically four different numberings of the commandments. There's the, there's the Lutheran numbering, the Catholic numbering, the Reformed slash Eastern Orthodox or Orthodox numbering, and the Jewish numbering. And they're all good attempts to solve the same problem. And one's as fine as the other. But, but we'll just go with the Lutheran numbering, I think, for the sake of this show, if you can bear with me on this, and see that these Ten Commandments then are doing something more than just saying, don't do this and don't do that. They're, they're, they're giving us this picture of, of how God orders the world and how he orders the universe. Now, I want to zoom in, if you guys are with me. Now, at this point in Bible class, I'd say, okay, who's got questions? So I suppose you can raise your hand, but I can't see it. So if you guys, I'm just going to assume that you're tracking with me and that the Ten Commandments are the way that the Lord protects these great gifts. I want to zoom in on two particular commandments and look at them a little bit further because they give a little bit more insight into the structuring of the world, and that's the Third Commandment and the Fourth Commandment. Because in the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, we see the Lord putting in, in place the estate of the church. Now, this might be new language for you, but it's going to be very, very helpful language to remember that the Lord has arranged the world in three distinct and unique estates. The estate of the church, the estate of the family, and the estate of the state. Those are the three governments or the three realms or the three regions in which each one of us lives. And those three estates all have different origins and different purposes. The church, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, has the role of preaching the word of God and giving to sinners the forgiveness of sins and the sure hope of eternal life. That's the, that's the role of that estate. And that comes from the third commandment. And in the fourth commandment, the Lord is protecting the estates of the family and of the state. Honor your father and mother puts, puts the family right there at the head of God's ordering of the universe, especially of his ordering of society. And it gives us that little government of the home. Marriage is the basis of the estate of the family, and it was given by God in the Garden of Eden, and it exists for the sake of bringing forth life earthly life biological life 
So the estate of the church gives spiritual life, eternal life, and the estate of the family gives biological life. And it doesn't just bring forth life, but it supports it. So the parents are in charge of teaching the children, raising the children, providing for the children, uh, protecting the children, and so forth and so on. And then out of that grows the third estate, which is the estate of the state. Now, while the, the first estate, the church, gives eternal life, the second estate, the family, gives temporal life, the third estate, the state, gives death. <laughs> that, at least, is how we have it after the fall. That's what we talk about when we talk about the authority of the sword. So the state can do things like wage war or throw people in prison. Police can pull people over. It has, a, it has the sword that is the capacity to bring punishment and death on people in order to keep order in society. And that authority grows out of the authority of parents. So if we're thinking about it rightly, I know I've given you guys a lot to think about. If we're thinking about it rightly, we see that we live in the family, the state, and the church. All three of us, all three estates, each one of us lives in all three of these. And we see that the Ten Commandments gives an understanding of a deep, a deep, deep structure of the way things work in the world. Now, now with that as background... I want to teach you how to play Ten Commandments in the news. And that is that basically you watch the news and you think to yourself, what commandments are in play here? What commandments are functioning around in the foreground or in the background? What part of the estates, the family, the church, and the state are, are, are at play in the particular news story or the particular conversation or the particular whatever that's going on? Now, sometimes it's easy. Like, say some guy punches another guy in the face, and the guy dies. What commandment is that? Well, that's the fifth commandment. You shall not murder. That's easy. But, but, look, the police came to arrest the guy. What, what commandment is that? That's the fourth commandment that, that sets up the state and gives authority for that sort of thing. And then the guy goes to prison, and then he goes to trial, and what commandment is that? Well, that's the Eighth Commandment. You shall not bear false witness, which, which sets up a system of justice in the world to protect a person's name. And let's say that we're reading about this in the news. Well, what commandment is the news? Well, that's also the Eighth Commandment, which has to do with telling truth in public. That's what the news is supposed to be. That's what journalism is supposed to be, so that we can be governed uh, by the truth in all these things. And let's say that the guy was punching the other guy in the face because he caught his wife cheating with him. Well, that, that all of a sudden is the Sixth Commandment. And let's say that the guy got out on bail for $250,000. Now we're, we're into the Seventh Commandment because it has to do with money and so forth and so on. And we start to see that all of these commandments are at work in all these things. Now, I've got some stories that I want to practice with you guys. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. You, maybe somehow we can figure out how you pick. Suspected rhino poacher killed by elephant, eaten by pride of lions in South Africa. That's one. Divided Supreme Court rules against death row inmate with rare condition. That's another one. Former deacon files defamation lawsuit against Lubbock Catholic Diocese. That's another one. Or Cory Booker introduces slavery reparations bill to Senate. Now, I want you guys to think about just, I mean, just listening to those headlines, how, how when we start to think about the things that are happening around us in terms of the estates and the Ten Commandments, now all of a sudden they, they come to life. And now all of a sudden what happens is we begin to see these things in, the, in, the, in biblical terms. And we begin to connect the dots between the wisdom of the Scriptures and the things that are happening around us. So that's exactly what I want to do. 
So let's go. We, we're a little, I know, Ian, we're a little bit early, but let's go to the break now, and we're going to come back, and we're going to start looking at some of these news stories, and we're going to see how the Ten Commandments apply to them or how we can apply the Ten Commandments to them to better understand what's going on. You're listening to Cross Defense. It's Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, Pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. We're going to go to this quick break. We'll be right back. All right. This is the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for me. Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. During the season of Lent, Worldwide KFUO will be broadcasting live Lenten worship services from Peace Lutheran Church in St. Louis each Wednesday morning at 11 on AM 850 and KFUO.org. Observe the season of repentance, renewal, and forgiveness alongside KFUO and the members and pastors of Peace Lutheran Church. That's each Wednesday morning at 11 during Lent on Worldwide KFUO. We're the messengers of good news. The first English Bible printed in the United States was a financial failure. The American Revolution had interrupted trade with Britain, causing a scarcity of Bibles. So in 1781, Philadelphia printer Robert Aitken petitioned the Continental Congress to sanction his translation. The Continental Congress never approved the printing of this ambitious project, but did, quote, recommend this edition of the Bible to the inhabitants of the United States and noted the care and accuracy in the execution of the work. When the war ended, less expensive Bibles from Britain flooded back into the market, leaving Aitken tens of thousands of dollars in debt. The Aitken Bible that made history but lost money is one of the many popular artifacts at the Museum of the Bible. Engage with the Bible, this book of all books, Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. All right, welcome back to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, Pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. We've been talking about Ten Commandments in the news. If you're just joining us, the way this works is you read a news story and you think about the Ten Commandments. Now, that seems, I don't know if that seems easy or hard. There's this funny thing about how a lot of people don't know the Ten Commandments. We should probably know them. I, I've, there's all these funny uh, YouTube videos of like people outside courthouses protesting that they took down the Ten Commandments, and the person will ask them, well, what are the Ten Commandments? <laughs> and they'll say, uh, you shouldn't murder or lie, and that's about all they know. And, and, and then the person makes fun of them because they're protesting the, the Ten Commandments, and they don't even know what the Ten Commandments are, which is probably right to make fun of. But I always thought if I was one of those protesters, I'd say, well, that's why we should have them on the wall, because I can't remember. 
Anyway, we should write them on our hearts, the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other God. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder, commit adultery. You shall not uh, steal, bear false witness. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or manservant or maidservant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. We've got to know these things, especially if we pursue wisdom, because the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, and the Ten Commandments teach us to fear the Lord. So we want to learn them, but one of the ways we can learn them is by applying them to the things that we see around us, to know that there's no disconnect between the world of the Bible and the world of today. It's one of the dangers. Now you guys got me off track here. It's one of the dangers of, of our modern mind is that we see everything in terms of change. We were talking about this last week with Pastor Stigmeyer, where we were talking about this... Uh, this transhumanism, that's a crazy kind of stuff. You can go back and listen to the podcast for last week of this, the idea of obtaining immortality by combining technology with humanity, and it's wild. Anyway, we're talking about how we are so obsessed with technology, and one of the problems of being obsessed with technology is that we see the entire universe in terms of change. We see history in terms of change, and we are unable to see that there are things, the most important things, that do not change. Who God is does not change. The, the, the condition of creation, at least as far as we know it, between the fall and the resurrection, the condition of this world does not change. Our human nature does not change. We are children of Adam still, still. You are, and your kids will be, and their kids will be, and so forth and so on. It's one of the dangers of the ideology of the, the myth of evolution, that everything's changing and humanity is changing. That there was a fun, at some point, there was something that was, not a, that was not a man and a woman, and then it became a man and a woman. It puts, you see what evolution does? It puts everything in terms of change. It's just wrong. That we, we, should, we would be better. Okay, let me make a broad, sweeping statement here. We would be better in understanding things in terms of institution rather than in terms of change. We would be better to understand the world in terms of the Ten Commandments rather than in terms of, of, of movements and, and all these sort of shifting tides of the world. And that's one of the things that looking at the news through the lens of the Ten Commandments gives us insight into, that these fundamental things do not change. So... Let's take a look at a news story. Now, we'll start out with an easy one. I think it's an easy one. Maybe there should be some interesting things that will come from this. This is from NPR. From today, which is the week of April the 8th, and the headline says this. No, this is from April the 7th, this news story. Suspected rhino poacher killed by elephant, eaten by pride of lions in South Africa. I wonder, just to begin with, how, you know, you have like a herd of elephants or a group of people, but you have a pride of lions. I just wonder how that got that name. But here's, here's what the story says. Kruger National Park Rangers received a call last week from the family of the suspected poacher, the park said in a statement issued on Friday. According to the family, accomplices of their relative said he was killed by an elephant on Tuesday while they were in the park to poach rhinos. So the family calls the police and says, hey, our... Brother, cousin, dad, someone, was apparently killed by an elephant when they snuck into the national park in order to illegally kill rhinoceroses and harvest their horns. That's what's going on. Now, we can just start there, maybe pause there and say, just to kind of get our minds warmed up and say, what commandments does this have to do with? Now, you're playing along. Hopefully, you're riding in the car with someone. 
And you can go ahead and guess what commandments this has to do with so far, and we'll see how you do. But here's what I'm thinking of. First of all, you have an animal killing a person. That has to do with the fifth commandment, you shall not murder. In fact, it's interesting in the Old Testament, there's provision for when a person murders a person or when an animal murders a person. So here this elephant uh, uh, killed a person. But what's interesting about it is they killed the person while this person was trespassing. They, were, they had snuck onto the national park for the purpose of killing a rhinoceros and stealing its horns. Now, it's interesting that a, a, a human killing an animal does not climb to murder uh, all the time. It can, according to God's law. It depends on the situation. And probably in this case, it would get pretty close. But at least we can say that it was a breaking of the seventh commandment. It was theft. He was trying to steal the rhino horns, which did not belong to him, and he was doing so for financial gain. We also have the fourth commandment here on a couple of reasons, because the family uh, was the one who was calling in this disaster, and we have the police who are receiving this call. And because we're reading the news, we have the Eighth Commandment. But probably the Eighth Commandment pushes even further in here. The Eighth Commandment, you shall not bear false testimony against your neighbor. Because this has to do with telling the truth or lying when you're sneaking around, especially on someone's property. That's a, probably uh, between breaking the Seventh Commandment and the Eighth Commandment. The news story continues, skipping down a little bit. Rangers began, oh, so uh, apparently the, these guys who went with this guy to fill in the story, they, they he got trampled by this attacking by this attacking elephant and the elephant trampled him and then they dragged his body to the road and then they left and I, I don't know if they're gonna come back and get the body or what but they left they told the family the family called police and it says that the the rangers be went to search for the body they began to search efforts to find the man's remains and bring the family closure but could not locate the body now this is an interesting thing how it mentions there they 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 were trying to find the body for the purpose of closure that's something interesting to think about, how how we need something when there's a death. We, 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 have, to, we have to mark the end of a life with some, sort of, um, with some sort of activity. This has to do with man bearing the image of God and of the awareness that we are not supposed to die. That's all Fifth Commandment stuff, the Lord protecting life. But the police could not locate the body. Quote, Indications found at the scene suggested that a pride of lions had devoured the remains, leaving only a human skull and a pair of pants, the statement read. The remains were found in the Crocodile Bridge section of the park. I don't know what this is. a. I don't think this is the place that you want to go sneaking around at night, by the way. Crocodile Bridge, looking for rhinoceroses, being trampled by elephants and eaten by lions. This is a bad day. Skipping down a little bit, the number of rhinos poached in South Africa has trended down since 2014, but demand for the animal's horns nonetheless remains strong, Reuters reports. More than 500 rhinos were poached for their horns in the first eight months of last year. Now, that is a clear connection to the Seventh Commandment. You shall not steal. But I think there's something more going on here. I don't know. I should have looked this up. I don't know what you do with rhino horns, about why rhino horns are, are, so, um, are so worth so much money. I'm going to wonder if we're going to look up rhino horns and what you use. What is a rhino horn used for? Um, they're used in Vietnam in traditional Chinese medicine. Increasingly common is its use as a status symbol to display success 
and wealth so that you're using rhino horn in some uh in some medicine medicinal sort of things but this really it kind of i don't know if it does to you but it really smells to me like witchcraft and witchcraft has to do with the second and the third commandments that we that we're using the lord's name or we're practicing some sort of divination uh, and that's what's going on with the second and third commandments. And that this rhino horn, you know, it sounds like this, like, eye of newt and horn of rhino and this sort of thing. I don't know exactly if that's what's happening, but I would not be surprised. So we have the fifth commandment, this murder and the double murder. We have the fourth commandment, the family and the police. We have the seventh commandment, this poaching for theft. We have the second and third commandments, which has to do with uh, with witchcraft and this sort of I don't know, secret manipulation of the world and nature. We have the Eighth Commandment, which has to do with, with trespassing and stealing. And always we remember that when we're breaking any of the commandments, we're breaking the First Commandment. Now, maybe one more word before we leave this, this particular article and go on to the next one, and that is that uh, there's different ways that animals are to be treated when an animal kills a human being. So we know this, if like you're walking along and you get attacked, like say you're on some sort of running track and you get attacked by a lion, like happened to this guy up in Boulder, then they track down that animal and they put it to death because once an animal starts killing human beings, that animal has forfeited its life. But I actually don't think that they would do that in this case. I don't think they would go after the elephant because this man was, was trespassing and was uh, committing criminal acts in doing it and so the animal was not acting in a danger to a normal uh, human being if an animal like this elephant would just start running around trampling kids and 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 huts and all this sort of stuff then you gotta take that animal and you gotta put it down but if an animal in just sort of the normal way of things like a horse accidentally kicks a guy in the head or uh, an elephant steps on a guy or something like that, then that, that animal's life is not forfeit. It, it depends on the intent of the particular animal. So that's what's going on there with the Fifth Commandment. All right, so there's a warm-up. Now, now we're going to get to the serious business. Divided Supreme Court rules against death row inmate with rare condition. This is from the, from the Washington Post on April 1st. The Supreme Court's... Cork. Let's try that again. The Supreme Court's stark divide on the issue of capital punishment was on full display Monday as the conservative majority ruled against a Missouri death row inmate who said his rare medical condition could mean an agonizing death that would violate constitutional standards against cruel and unusual punishment. Well, this is going to be something. So let's see how we're going to start this. What, I mean, just in the first paragraph, we can identify a handful of commandments at work. First, we have the question of capital punishment. Can a person be put to death for their particular crime? Now, this is a raging debate uh, in our own society. And, in fact, that's one of the things that this article is about. It says that the so-called conservative uh, folk on the Supreme Court are for capital punishment, whereas the liberals, so-called, on the Supreme Court stand against the capital punishment. So, so that's certainly a Fifth Commandment question. And then we're dealing with this in court, in the Supreme Court, which is the Eighth Commandment. The Eighth Commandment establishes courts so that there can be justice in society. Society. It's an amazing thing to me to think about how there's always been courts in every particular society. There's always been a way of bringing someone and, and accusing them of guilt or crime or something like that and punishing them for it. The article continues. The court ruled five to four that Russell... 
Bucklew, convicted of murder 22 years ago. Now, note that tw- he was convicted of murder 22 years ago in 19... I do the math. 1997. Hmm. It failed to show that the state's use of a lethal injection would make his suffering exceptional and that he had not proved that an alternative would be better. Now, here I want to pause and, and note just uh, something that is a problem. I, I would just venture to say that we have a problem in our own society, and that is that we have a huge... What, Ian? Three minutes? Don't break the Eighth Commandment. I'm getting the warning that I've only got three minutes. We're just getting started on this, so you better listen fast. We have this great gap between conviction and punishment. In the ancient world, it wasn't like that. They had the Hebrew idea of the gate or the Roman idea of the bema seat. So they could, just as an example, bring Jesus to trial and immediately send him to execution. There was, it was like this. Now, maybe that wasn't enough gap to make sure that justice was happening. But, but right now, we have such a long gap that you could hardly remember the crime by the time the person is being put to death. And here, and one more thing, I want to say something else about this, because one of the things that conservatives are often accused of is hypocrisy, because we are pro-life, and we say, hey, you shouldn't kill babies, but why are you pro the death penalty? Well, our, our fighting against abortion is the same reason that we fight for the death penalty, if, if it's needed, and that is out of a recognition of human dignity. In Genesis, even after the flood, God says, if a man kills another man, he is to be put to death because man bears the image of God. So it's our understanding of human dignity that, that sets us in this world to protect the gift of life and to protect life at extreme, with extreme measures. That means that if there's someone who's, who's unfit for society and is going around attacking people and killing people, that that person has to be removed permanently removed from society to, for that threat. Uh, this article goes, oh, man, I can't believe the clock is going to get... During the, I'm going to just read another sentence. Uh, Thomas, Justice Thomas, repeated his belief that only a manner of execution, quote, deliberately designed to inflict pain is unconstitutional. And that has to do with how we put people to death. And this reminds us, for example, that there's been various different ways of putting people to death all throughout the history of the world. The Hebrews had stoning, the Romans had beheading, and especially crucifixion. And crucifixion, that language that Justice Thomas uses here, is, is the execution deliberately designed to inflict pain? Well, that's precisely what crucifixion was. It was a form of capital punishment that was designed explicitly to cause excruciating pain. That's why Constantine, Emperor Constantine, when he became a Christian, outlawed it, not only because it was the way that his Lord Jesus died, but also because it creates this excruciating pain in the person who dies. Which, amazingly enough, even as we're talking about the Ten Commandments, we come back around in this article to the gospel, to the death of Jesus, who was, now think about this, that your Lord Jesus was actually executed. He, he suffered capital punishment for crimes that he con- didn't commit. In fact, for crimes that you committed and that I committed for our sins and our he bore those for us it's really incredible so I want to encourage you to look for the Ten Commandments in the news dear friends but don't just look for the Ten Commandments you can see in all these things the love of God and and the gospel as well the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us to give us eternal life all right we'll keep the conversation going I'll tune in with you next week thanks for listening to cross defense
Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org. Thanks, as always, for listening, for downloading Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. I really appreciate your attention. You know, we have this phrase, to pay attention. It really costs something to give your attention to something. And, and I appreciate the gift that you've given uh, to me of your attention for this last 40-whatever minutes. And if you, have, if you have any questions, if you have any feedback, thoughts about the show, I'd love to hear from you. If you go to wolfmuller.co, you'll see a contact page. You can send me notes there. It's fantastic. Let, let the studio at KFUO know if, you, if there's stuff that you have about the show, thoughts, insights, uh, thanks, complaints, or anything else like that as well. We want to make this good for you, that, it's a, that you're paying attention, but that you're getting the reward of the joy of the Lord's Word. So thanks for downloading. We'll catch you next week.